Hi, welcome back to another episode of Real World Serverless, a podcast where I speak with real world practitioners and uh, get their stories from the trenches. Today, I'm joined by Louis Quintons from Accru. Hey, man. Hey, uh, hey, Jan. It's great to be here. Yeah, Louis. So can you tell us about uh, your platform and what you explained to me earlier? It's kind of like a bank uh, saving account for your cryptocurrencies. And it's really interesting uh, how you kind of build this whole platform using mostly service components. So before we dive into the, the architecture side of things, um, just maybe explain to us uh, what is Accrue? How does it work? Sure, sure. I mean, before I do that, Janet, I must say it's really an honor to be on, on your show. Um, I remember seeing um, a talk you gave in London at the JavaScript Exchange, I think it was, or something like that. Um, and I was really, at the time, I was really blown away by serverless and I wasn't using it. So it's great to be here. So um, thanks very much for having me on. Um, yeah, so I'm working at Crew, been there about six months. Um, it's been a, a real journey. Um, and what we're looking to do is really uh, simplify the process of, of buying and investing your crypto for the the crypto novice someone maybe who's got a bit of money to spare but um doesn't doesn't hasn't had a track record of investing in crypto and wants to really simplify that so we're looking to um kind of make it known really to users that they can take um the crypto they already have or they can deposit real money on our platform and we will go and um, invest that for them and earn them a yield and part of that is because a lot of people don't really realize that just by holding crypto, they can earn money. Um, they can um, stake that money on crypto exchanges in return for a reward. And so it's really simple with, with our product. Um, you deposit your, uh, your euros, your pounds, or you deposit your existing cryptocurrency that you've you bought elsewhere. And, um, and we then um, invest, invest that for you and pay um, a return yearly of um, 12% on your stablecoin, 6 on Bitcoin and 6% on Ethereum. And uh, we're really trying to um, A, make it simple, but also open up this avenue for people to to earn money on crypto without having to kind of buy and sell and speculate all the time. That's really kind of interesting because uh, from that way you describe, it really feels like a savings account where you're getting some yield from uh, money you just have for sitting in the bank. Uh, but I guess in that case, um, is there any sort of financial regulations that uh, you guys need to be I guess, uh, adhere to? Anything that uh, uh, as a customer I should be thinking about in terms of, uh, uh, I don't know, things like the, FS, uh, the financial regulators in, in the UK, things like that in terms of uh, protection against, uh, you know, if a bank goes cr- uh, bankrupt, I guess some, you know, some protection around the money I have in the, in, in the account. Um, does that come into play for things like crypto- uh, cryptocurrencies? Yeah, I mean, obviously, on the one hand, cryptocurrency at the moment is is unregulated, um, but we do have very very strict regulations in in the way we handle cryptocurrency in our company. So um, we are we go through a whole, ser- whole whole series of checks to verify um, who the person is um, when they come onto the platform. So one of the first things they do is they go through a kind of familiar know your client um, process where they scan in their passport, they take a selfie. That enables us to um, scan them against uh, a series of kind of um, money laundering databases and uh, financial crime um, systems so that we can verify that the people coming on the platform are actually kind of um, here to do good business. They're not here to sort of um, try and um, hack the hack the system. Um, but also when you do deposit, um, all the money's, in, the money's insured. So we... Um, 
uh, we work with a third party that um, enables us to integrate and um, work with the blockchain and um, they manage the customer's money, the, the vaults um, in a vault and uh, that allows us to really lock down and provide a very high level of security but also a level of insurance. So when we do any um, insurance, so any investments, um, that money is insured as well, similar to how it would be in a bank. So um, it's a very high level of security. There's also a working providers to actually um, insure the crypto as well. So there's that sort of double layer, similar to what you would get in a normal um, savings account or normal banking process, really. Okay, that's really good to know. And uh, I guess in that case, uh, you need to have some kind of process that uh, uh, that handles the whole sort of, uh, validation process of uh, getting your you know, your passport photos and having some uh, someone to verify and maybe calling some other government APIs to make sure that uh, you know uh, your passport number is not on some naughty list of uh, people that uh, shouldn't be doing these kind of things. Um, I guess in that case, uh, uh, what does the architecture look like on your backend? I imagine you've got maybe some kind of a workflow engine to handle that particular validation process. You've got maybe some APIs to, and you and you mentioned that uh, this is mostly all serverless. Can you maybe just uh, paint us a high level picture of uh, what does the uh, architecture look like for your system? Yeah, sure, sure. So, I mean, we've, we've bought, we built kind of two front ends to begin with. One of them um, is um, enables obviously the web, so that's in React. And we have a mobile app as well, which is in React Native. And um, we use a third party, um, a well-known sort of identity verification third party, that I think Monzo uses as well, called Onfido. And uh, Onfido allow you to embed their SDK into the, the web, your web um, app or your mobile app. Um, and uh, essentially those, those, those kind of drop-in components, they allow us to capture um, uh, a scanned image of, of, the, uh, of the passport and all the um, the users, you know, selfie if you like, and that and that, that data is then um, uh, pushed to their API, and then really a lot of pretty much in the case of that uh, third party and all other third parties really, our um, our integration is via webhooks. So we um, one of the things that made it really I guess nice really for um, uh, using serverless in this case was that we we were able to just really quickly spin up uh, an API gateway with a lambda attached, and because a lot of these these processes are very um, are very asynchronous, you know, and, well they're, they're obviously by, def by definition, but they they're not happening all the time. You know, we don't need a uh, permanently running server to process these things because it's not it's not happening like every minute. Um, it's happening throughout the day at different times. So just to be able to fire up. Um, those applications um, when needed um, was really helpful. So a lot of it is a case of us, um, you know, um, receiving the webhook event, um, auditing it in, in S3. Um, and then we typically um, are using um, SNS at the moment as a kind of event backbone so that we can, um, we found that the performance of that was well within what we needed. So we typically publish, publish the events to SNS. And then we have different SQS queues that um, listen out for certain types of events and then lambdas that read off the queues and then process the the um, the, the events as they come in, um, typically talking to Dynamo or, um, or Aurora Postgres for the case of kind of more numerical financial type transactions. 
Okay, so are you? I guess in that case, are you using the S3 notification mechanism to push an event into SNS whenever uh, an event has been captured uh, via the webhook by the Lambda function written into S3 for audit, and then the, that triggers the SNS message, then goes into SQS and triggers some other Lambda function to then pick up that payload and then do some work with that. Sure, um, we're, in, we're we're still roughly the early stages in a sense of six months. So at the moment, we're just using S three as a as a, an audit, really. Um, so we're not we're not doing the, using the notifications, but um, so we just so the the lambda the, that sits behind the webhook, the API gateway, is just writing to SNS um, directly at the moment, um, and um, right, and, right. and we're just using an S three just as an audit as a backup, really. Okay, and have you guys uh, looked at uh, using perhaps EventBridge for this instead of uh, SNS? Because that seems to be quite I guess, the the trend nowadays that the people are moving away from using SNS and uh, SQS, but more moving towards using EventBridge and having like a centralized event bus uh, for the entire system. Yeah, um, I'm, I looked into it. Um, haven't um, I, under the sort of pressures of time, I had some really working examples of um, of how to get. SNS going fast, so um, I, I use that. But it's definitely on our roadmap to sort of look into it. We're only using it at the moment for particularly um, triggering scheduled events. Really, SNS. We're using that the sort of event sources module you get with the CDK. I think uses um, the event bridge under the hood. So yeah, it's definitely something that we'll we'll look look towards in the future. I guess that's a quite an interesting point there that uh, you kind of build this whole thing within just a few months. Um, which is quite a quite an accomplishment, I guess. The the fact that the uh, uh, you know, serverless probably helps you a little bit with that. You don't have to worry too much about infrastructure. Uh, you can just rely on AWS to provide the infrastructure for you. And it sounds like the sort of cost is also maybe a concern as well there that you don't have to run a web server twenty four seven just so that it handles the a callback from time to time. Yeah, that that's spot on. Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, um, although although we've kind of we've been blessed as a company in the last uh, few months. We've been bought out by um, a, a bigger entity and listed um, in the UK. Um, when we first started, you know, we didn't know how much we would, how much cash we'd have, and how long that would last. And we only had myself and um, a good friend of mine, Gary, who um, we'd worked together before, and and we had a lot of experience, sort of mobile apps and and these types of systems. So, so we we kind of had to sort of. Um, we didn't have the budget to say hire a big platform team um, to manage the infrastructure. Um, so I suppose I suppose that was a big win with serverless. Really, um, in my in a previous company, we, we were using Kubernetes, and um, you know it was it was a, it was it was a, had some had some merits and, and so on, but it was really expensive um, to run and to operate, and it requires you know a number of platform engineers um, who were who were managing that. And I just felt that um, I, I, in a previous role that I'd been in for about six, seven months, I'd used heavily the Amazon CDK. And, and that's just been like um, absolutely just fantastic, really, for, for, for managing all this stuff. Um, I'd historically used a bit of CloudFormation, which I could never really get myself, my head around all the, all the syntax and writing that fast enough. You know what I mean? So... There was that, and I'd use the serverless um, NPM, you know, the serverless sort of uh, framework as well, which had been good. But maybe for the sort of breadth of things we wanted to do, it was a little bit restrictive, but um, didn't give us all the freedom. Um, so I didn't want I didn't want to be right hand cranking YAML or JSON files. Um, I wanted to to have um, 
to write it in code. And I, I never really liked Terraform as a sort of um, as a as a as a sort of like a language or you know sort of scripting thing. So um, although it's very powerful, I, I, but I, I so I really like CDK. So CDK allowed us to set up all this infrastructure really quickly when we didn't have a a platform team. So that's been been massive for us. Um, and 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 I think tied to that is is that you know although it's not directly related to serverless, we we were able to really simply um, deploy our software with um, with GitHub Actions as well. So um, using GitHub and GitHub Actions and using the CDK, we were able to just um, you know orchestrate all deployments really nicely. And again, that ties into the fact that you know in a previous job and many jobs, people were always using. Um, we're using Jenkins, um, which is great, but you know, it, it was a lot of it. It was like a self-managed Jenkins, so that was one thing. And 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 also, a lot of companies historically have used Bitbucket pipelines, which are which are fine. But my personal view is, I found that you know, using GitHub Actions to be a lot easier. But um, I don't know what you think, but um, that's been my experience. Yeah, I've used the GitHub Actions on quite a few projects. It's quite easy to set up. And I have to say, I quite like the fact that you can use those, uh, I forgot what you call them now, those GitHub built-in, I guess, environments. They can just bring in Node. You can bring in uh, Python quite easily without having to you know, find the right Docker image uh, with both the, you know, all the dependencies installed. And uh, you know, you've got to worry about, uh, okay, open source Docker images may not be safe. They may have uh, vulnerabilities that you don't know about. And you have to build up your own image and then you have to find uh, places to uh, to put that image and uh, using ecrs and stuff like that which is just adding more and more layers of things that you have to think about and do uh whereas github action just goes oh yeah just use uh, this uh, this uh, this action to bring in the python so i can use the AWS sd uh, cli uh, as part of my um, pipeline and things like that uh, i do like it a lot uh, it's, it's, uh, it's it's quite nice and I guess uh, I really like the point that you made earlier about uh, how Kubernetes is expensive uh, because it requires a team to operate. And I think that's one of the costs that a lot of people don't think about, uh, that they look at you know, containers, look at Lambda, they think, oh, yeah, you know, if you're handling X number of requests per second, Lambda seems uh, quite expensive. Uh, but then the, if you need the whole team that you had to pay for to manage your Kubernetes environment, then suddenly you know, that cost when, you know, you've got to think about total cost of ownership, uh, which just drastically changes the picture because engineers that knows Kubernetes well and have operated in production at scale, they're hard to find and they're quite expensive to recruit and maintain as well. So um, I think that's a really important point that a lot of people just don't think about uh, when they only think about the operational cost, uh, you know, what AWS charges you, because that's an easy to measure number that you see every month. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, 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 uh, you know, we were easily spending with not a huge amount of traffic at a previous company with Kubernetes. We, our AWS bill, because we're using it in AWS, was was easy like £20,000 a month, you know, and, and we were, you know, and we, we're nowhere near that with Lambda. So, you know, and sort of maybe more traffic than we had at that previous previous job. So, yeah, it, it, it's it's a no-brainer for me. And, and, and I think one of the things that's been what is really at the crux, the core of the system, I suppose, is... Um, well, that we use all AWS services, but one of them being Cognito as well, which we've really, um, which has been a real good experience. And I mainly say that because I think almost in every job I've worked in, there's always been a tendency to um, to hand crank the authentication system yourself, um, or or to 
yeah so 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 using something that's off the shelf there again which is so so easy to to set up has been a big win i think with cognito Okay, so let's maybe talk about, uh, I guess, the, the app side of things, because it sounds like you're using Cognito for user authentication, which means that you've got a mobile app or web app people can log into. And I guess the, on the front end, you've got React and React Native. And I guess on the back end, are you also using API Gateway for REST API or are you using more of like GraphQL uh, API with uh, AppSync? Yeah, so we, we're using um, a little bit of API Gateway, but the majority is uh, using AppSync. Um, and um, again, you know, that ties in nicely to, to Cognito perfectly because we, you know, we've got, um, I love the way, you know, you can easily um, create roles, um, create groups, obviously, in Cognito and then assign those groups to different mutations or queries in, in AppSync. So that, 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 again, has been super easy for us to, to add in um, because we've got a, a back office system as well that we need to maintain which um, where we have different permissions, different user groups, that sort of thing. So um, yeah, we, we're, we're also in the front end, we're using Amplify uh, JS um, to integrate with, um, with the likes of Cognito to handle that authentication um, from a front end perspective. So we're using that library. Um, but yeah, um, we're using um, using AppSync, and that, and that's been that's been a positive experience, I think, on the whole. I think sometimes it's it, the the only tricky thing maybe is is that um, I mean, there's, there's probably something that I'm not using, but um, there's not. I think the for me the the optimum developer experience I've had with with Node or TypeScript has been um, using an Express server and running you know the ability to run that locally and 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 test that with super test or whatever you're using that that is like super super great you know that's just a fantastic experience um but you can you can create a similar thing with 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 AppSync, i guess but um what we're typically doing actually when we're running it locally or testing it is we're just we're just invoking the um we're running the uh the the, the tests against the uat amazon services so if we've got like a, an AppSync lambda resolver and that's talking to Dynamo. We just run, we just hit the, the Lambda locally, just mocking out the event object and just passing it in like it would be passed in in a real world scenario. And just talking talking to the real UAT Dynamo. I haven't had that sort of, I don't know if there's a, something you'd recommend in terms of whether you can create uh, the full app sync environment locally or whether that's worth doing or... Yeah, usually I don't find that's a little, uh, really worthwhile doing. The only time where I find that it's worthwhile uh, simulating the whole API locally is when I'm doing server-side rendering, uh, because uh, you know even for API gateway, I can I can inspect the REST response, uh, sorry, a, a JSON response, and figure out that, okay, it's returning the right thing or not. Uh, but I can't render uh, HTML and CSS in my head. Uh, so when I'm doing server-side rendering, then the, yeah, I do want to find it useful to have um, the ability to just run the API gateway locally, so I can you know point a browser to some local uh, local host, three thousand port or something like that. Uh, so for a lot of uh, AppSync APIs I've developed, I've using something similar to what you're describing. It's what I call integration test, where I essentially run the function locally, uh, but having the function talking to um, uh, the real DAMDB tables and other AWS services to make sure that it's actually doing the right thing and just trigger the function with the right payload uh, that looks like it's coming from uh, AppSync or API Gateway. Um, with AppSync, uh, you can also you know, just do without Lambda. You can just write VTO. So uh, I also use the uh, Amplify. It's got a couple of those uh, open source libraries that the smaller modules that you publish to NPM that you can use to simulate uh, a VTO, I guess, you know, running VTO code. 
Uh, so I've used those to write the unit test where I'm right, you know, for cases where I'm writing more interesting, more complicated uh, VTL code um, than I like to normally write. <laughs> uh, but sometimes, uh, you know, it's just not worth uh, putting a Lambda function behind it. You can just uh, write a VTL code and um, do some simple, I don't know, array manipulation or something like that. So yeah, and also tend to write quite a bit of uh, end-to-end test uh, for my uh, GraphQL APIs, uh, just to make sure that the whole thing is actually working end-to-end uh, once I've got a, a, the API deployed. Sure, sure. Yeah. yeah, perfect. And I also find though, uh, I guess CDK, I'm not sure if you're using the serverless stack framework, which is, uh, I guess, like a layer of, on top of a CDK. It gives you some other constructs, and I've, I think it's got some tools that allows you to, um, I guess, invoke Lambda function locally and watch the file as it changes and things like that. Um, that seems to be getting a lot of traction nowadays. Uh, but with the server framework, I also sometimes do is uh, I'm using Lumigo for a lot of my monitoring stuff. Uh, yeah. So when something happens, I, I can see the alert in Lumigo. Uh, it it rises to my Slack channel. I go to Lumigo. I can capture the invocation event, which I can then put into a JSON file locally. And I can then rerun that uh, event uh, against my function locally and uh, use VS Code to put a, you know, breakpoints into my code so that I can step through the code uh, step line by line. Uh, if it's something that's a bit more interesting, a bit more you know, difficult to debug, then I can also do that as well. But, but yeah, it's with um, CDK and the serverless stack framework, I think you can do something similar. Uh, I haven't tried it myself, uh, but I've seen uh, quite a few people mention that, that they started to use serverless stack framework with CDK. Oh, that's that's really good. Yeah, I'll definitely look into that. As you you touched there on on Lumigo, and and I think that that's been an an, an amazing um, addition for us um, as a as a platform. Really, just you know, just the the the, the Slack integrations um, is great. But also, I was really blown away by um, for those who haven't used it, just um, just the, just how easy it is to set up. You know, you create an account, and it just deploys CloudFormation. Um, template and just hooks into all your lambda functions, doesn't it? And you've not got to change any of your code. It just it just deploys it, and it's um, immediately starts monitoring all your all your serverless um, applications. And that's been absolutely we've we've detected so many little issues through that and fixed it super quick. And 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 the fact that it the fact that it pushes um, as you said that the the, uh, the event object into Slack, you know, means you've not got to go up somewhere else where you need to have a quick view of what's going wrong. And um, that's been perfect. Um, and we've we've actually hooked it into our our own kind of um, logo. Um, we've got something similar to I think you might have put together at DAZN when you were there, like the sort of power tools thing. Oh yeah, the DAZN Lambda power tools. Yeah, that's the, yeah, that, that was me. <laughs> um, we, we, we've got we've got um, we've got something really similar to that actually, and we've hooked it into certain log levels so that it it publishes it to Lumigo um, as well. Any error as well, so. So we we we've, we've sort of turned that down a little bit, or we've as we've as we've gone live and we've we've started to kind of you know sort of see what really is an error or what's just noise. We've 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 started to tone some stuff down, but but Lumigo just works so well with with Lambda and Serverless, you know, for 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 monitoring. So that's been been really great. And I think I'm only just using the the beginning the beginning of what you can do with it. Like the, I think there's a certain cost analysis that you can get out of it as well. So um, I'll be looking into that. Yeah, it looks at those transactions and sees uh, what components are part of the transaction, and then it kind of give you an estimate on the cost uh, with, for that particular transaction. I think one of the things that's probably missing right now is for you to be able to produce some kind of aggregate. Uh, so for you know transactions that looks like this, 
you know, what's the total cost for my, you know, for, for my infrastructure? Uh, then you can see, okay, I've got this new feature. Maybe I can tag it somehow so that uh, if uh, I see other similar transactions that goes through the same same Lambda function, the same uh, event buses, the same events, uh, then the, you can work out, okay, what's the cost for these particular uh, features? Then you can start to look at, okay, in terms of uh, building, you know, features and products, uh, you know, are we, you know, are we spending more money on the maintaining this feature than we're actually making from this feature um, that's one of the things that uh, you can't quite do just yet, uh, but um, that's something that uh, I hope that they, you know they push me further in terms of that uh, cost analysis. But it's not their primary focus. Uh, I do understand that. Um, well, they've, they've got they've got some they've got some new funding, haven't they? So hopefully they'll. Uh, oh yeah, they did. Yeah, they'll they'll, they'll, they'll solve they'll solve that. Yeah, I think one of the things that they're looking to improve is the support. Is actually as support for containers because a lot of companies are using a mixture of containers and Lambda in their environment. So being able to use the same sort of same tool to monitor both sides of the uh, both kind of systems uh, is going to be really helpful. Uh, speaking of which, uh, you mentioned that uh, you know, your system is all, almost all serverless, but you do have some EC2 instances in there. Uh, can you maybe explain the use case there and what's the limitations that kind of forces you back into managing EC2 machines? Yeah, sure. I mean, it was it was all kind of new to me because I've not really worked in a sort of trading system before, but. Um, one of the things that's common with with trading currencies of any kind is that um, they they typically use a, a kind of standard for messaging called FIX. Um, and and I, I didn't really know anything about it before I got into this, but um, yeah, FIX is a standard. There's a whole body around it, and which de defining um, the structure of certain messaging messages, um, certain fields that have to be sent, um, the way that you keep the the, the connection alive. And so you, you essentially need to, in order to do this kind of trading with third parties who um, you know buy and sell crypto for you, you need to maintain a long running connection um, to their system. And uh, that's sort of kept alive via messaging that happens every, uh, via sort of heartbeat messaging that happens every 30 seconds. And um, it provides a really low level, really fast um, uh, mechanism for, for trading to get a quote uh, and to then transact that quote. And um, and so this is something that you know it couldn't um, you couldn't I couldn't run it in a lambda because it obviously um, would shut down and so that was something that I sort of looked at but but obviously realised pretty quick that wasn't going to work um, and then the other thing was um, I looked into was using Fargate as well so just running um, running a container in Fargate because um, I'd done that before at a previous company and that worked okay. But um, I sort of hit a brick wall with it. I don't know what it was. I could never get it to work. Was was that um, I found that the AWS environment was just um, was always uh, just killing my connections um, uh, to uh, out out to um, the third party, and um, I'd spent ages on it. I just couldn't I couldn't figure it out. There's probably something stupid I was doing, but you know it's one of those problems that you get in in these things where you just give up and then you think, what can I do? I need to get this running so. Um, I ended up just starting up um, an EC2 instant, yeah, instance, and then right. just yeah, and running and running a node a node service on there, pretty pretty quick to set up, and then just you know it connects fine. Yeah, I would have thought the Fargate is uh, makes a lot makes it a lot easier nowadays. Uh, but I guess uh, if you just need to have one machine, then the, you know it's, it's probably good enough. 
I guess uh, with uh, EC2, you may have to think about, uh, you know, uh, things like having multi-AZ so that, uh, if, you know, if um, EC2 is having some problems in your region, then, the, uh, sorry, in your AZ, then the, at least uh, you don't have some downtime. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm familiar with the fixed protocol. Um, I used to work in the in the investment banks uh, many many years ago. Cool. I think when they were first introducing the fixed protocol at the time, and uh, my wife is still works in finance, so she's uh, have to deal with her fix in the past as well. Oh, nice. So, yeah, it's 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 <laughs> a bit it's a bit of a bit of a pain. It, it's it's okay, but I mean it's pretty quick. That's one of the one of the things that's positive. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember the format. I think it was like it's a pipe delimited uh, messaging, right? That's right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I think you mentioned that uh, you're using mostly DynamoDB, uh, but uh, you are you also using relational databases as well? Um, or is Aurora on on your as part of your stack? Yeah, yeah, that's right. A bit of a mix. Um, I've always really liked DynamoDB, uh, mainly mainly because it works great with Lambda functions. Um, in that sense, it's um, you know obviously you're communicating via an API essentially, aren't you, to the database, which is great, and yeah, try try to follow that kind of my my eyes really open to it when I watched that that video you've probably watched I'm sure um, by Rick Houlihan on sort of single table design on DynamoDB and that and how they use it at Amazon and that was that was really eye opening for me so I have to be honest I I sort of um, did toy with using Dynamo for absolutely everything in the in the stack and it and it might be it might be that we we swap out Aurora at some point. But it's good enough for now for the volumes. Um, I mean, the main reasoning is that we need some level of of reporting, and Aurora is kind of used for that at the moment for the sort of being able to find out um, how much. I mean, it's a strange one. We're using a relational database, but we're not using it in a particularly relational way. We're using it because of the ability for us at the size we're at to to report and and, and so on. But but yeah, so we're using that mix, and Dynamo's work well, really. I mean, I guess the the the, the other thing that I would say with Dynamo is is that it's it's quite a um, it's not very flexible, is it? So if you if you if you mess up your table design at the beginning, it's not that forgiving, is it? I suppose. Yeah, especially if you're using a single a single table design, because one of the things that uh, I guess Rick and maybe Alex Debris talk and uh, talks doesn't really cover is the fact that uh, Alex, well, Rick's examples they're all based on Amazon uh, in in teams where the assets pattern is known has been established for many many years. Yeah. Uh, so migrating those, uh, you, you know, you, you know ahead of time how you're going to access data. Uh, but if you're still building a new thing, a new product, then the, your assets pattern is going to change uh, most likely at some point. Uh, and uh, with single table designs, uh, it's just not as flexible if you were to use uh, many tables. Uh, at least that's been my experience. And I think the the problem that the single table design solves uh, in terms of joining data more efficiently, I think um, you know when it comes to AppSync and GraphQL, you kind of kind of don't have that problem anymore because the GraphQL schema kind of stitch the things for you. And if you have to you know, join them by say a user to his uh, wallet to his uh, coins. Kind of you know, AppSync kind of do that for you if you just point AppSync to different resolvers. So a lot of that problems in terms of uh, joining uh, joining data from different tables, uh, you also don't need to really worry about that when it comes to building GraphQLs with uh, uh, AppSync and uh, and uh, DynamDB. Yeah. Um, but I do think uh, actually maybe that's a good question in terms of volume. How much volume are you dealing with right now in terms of data? Because uh, yeah, it sounds like you're using Aurora as uh, basically like a reporting database, which I imagine at some point is going to be, you know, it's going to struggle once you have a significant a significant amount of data you have you have to deal with. But I guess you're just starting out, so maybe it's, you're not quite there yet. Yeah, we're not really there yet at the moment. Um, I think um, 
I think for the for the for the level of users and the, and the regularity we've, we've got at the moment, it's it's fine. Um, so we're we're only we're only in the sort of tens of thousands at the moment in terms of you know users. We're not we we we, start, we went live about three or four weeks ago. Um, so we sort of um, we're going to be ramping up the, the marketing this year and and, and looking to grow significantly. Um, but yeah, I think uh, at the moment it's it's working out fine. I mean, that, I mean, that we'll see. Um, we're using um, Aurora actually as well for um, a lot of the um, of a lot of the transactions that are done. So like deposits that come in and writing trade trade calls and that sort of thing. So um, so yeah, so it's a mix at the moment. But um, as we evolve, I'm sure we might look at other things. We redshift for reporting or that sort of thing, um, or or Snowflake. Okay. Yeah, I guess Snowflake is, uh, is really popular for those through those, those kind of reporting and analytics uh, uh, workloads, uh, and I guess it sounds like you're also doing some kind of a time series data for the uh, for the transactions. Um, I guess the Amazon also got that the quantum database uh, QLDB, which gives you some of these benefits of uh, being able to, you know, I guess, uh, assign the request so that you know that uh, you know, they are. You can cryptographically uh, approve that the transaction is linked, and uh, you can. It also gives you that history in terms of, um, you know, for a particular records, uh, the all the different changes that it's gone through in the past as well. But I think the last time I looked at it, uh, still some, I guess, the uh, usability issues around uh, QLDB. So. For one of the projects I worked on uh, the last couple of years, it was for a healthcare app, and uh, we couldn't use it just because it was missing some stuff that uh, you know, it just wasn't quite ready yet. But I think since then they improved a lot of things on the QLDB side of things. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they've also got those. Is it time scale? Is it time scale or is it time? A time series database. Yeah, yeah. 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 That one is uh, that one is fairly. Is that, is that even public yet? Uh, I think it was. It's been in beta for a while. Okay. Yeah. Uh, time stream. Uh, so that's the. Yeah. Okay. So it looks like it's. Yeah. Okay. So they must have uh, gone live with it already. Yeah. I remember this was announced a couple of years ago, and then it's been a private beta for a number of years, and nothing happened. Oh yeah. Yeah. Now that I talk about it, I think they. I do remember they announced it last year, at some point. But yeah, that's another one that's maybe worth looking into uh, in the future. Once you've got a bit more data, um, you've got to worry about. You can probably separate them out. The the time series data going to time stream and the yeah. the the analytics data going to uh, Snowflake or something like that. Yeah, I mean, um, have you have you worked? Have you seen? Um, do you have a view on 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 how much? What's the sort of maximum number of users for using something like Aurora? Uh, that's difficult to say. I guess it's more around the volume of data you're dealing with. Uh, when I was, um, I guess this is many years ago when I was uh, working on the social games, and um, you know that's when you know, we're dealing with uh, I think you know, over a million daily active users uh, and a lot, a lot of requests. Um, so analytics events, I think we we're getting something like. 50 gigabytes of analytics data every day. And uh, so uh, at the time we were trying to use uh, Aurora as our um, reporting database. And within like a month, we kind of just just couldn't do it anymore. It's just taking too long to 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 run any reports. So we ended up using a BigQuery uh, from Google Cloud at the time. And Amazon at the time didn't have anything similar. And since then they have now got uh, Athena, uh, which kind of you know, their, their answer to Google BigQuery uh, but yeah, that's still kind of my, often, I guess, my go-to solution for a lot of this uh, um, analytics kind of workload is just use something like Athena, which can you know, query data you've got in the S3. Uh, but uh, I think I also see more and more people now use uh, Snowflake, which seem to 
integrate really well with some lots of uh, other third-party tools just out of the box. You can run stuff uh, in a snow uh, in Snowflake and then just output the data to where you need them to be. So maybe that's another good option uh, to look at. Yeah, 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 definitely. Oh, nice. Okay, um, I think that's uh, that covers all the questions I, I had. Is there anything else that you'd like to talk about? I guess now that you guys have been acquired and uh, things that sounds like things are going well, are you looking to hire people to bring onto your team? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're always looking for um, for talented engineers. Um, we've I mean, we've recently um, well hired a few more people starting this week. If you do want to, um, if you you are interested in joining the journey, um, it's pretty uh, exciting so far. I mean, we've we're acquiring a lot of assets, and there's a lot of technical challenges. Um, uh, you know, do 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 get in touch on LinkedIn, um, and uh, yeah, it'd be great to hear from you. Yeah, so if you've got a, a link to your, I guess, uh, open positions, then the, I will share that on my uh, on the, the show notes for this uh, episode. Uh, and uh, is there anything else that uh, I guess you guys are doing in terms of, uh, I don't know, um, do you guys do, write any blog posts, any engineering blogs that uh, you'd like to share or uh, talks that you, you've done? Yeah, I mean, if you, if you um, probably the, uh, the best thing at the moment is just to follow our, um, us on LinkedIn. We, we're regularly um, producing quite a lot of uh, good content on, on sort of crypto and uh, investing in crypto. So if you want to know more about that, that's a good good resource at the moment. We've not got our own blog, but um, that's definitely uh, definitely something that we'll we'll pick up in the new year. Okay, sounds good. I'll make sure that's uh, included in the show notes for today. And again, thank you very much, Louis, for taking the time to talk to us. And uh, you know, all the best uh, in your project. Thanks very much. It's been great to meet you. Ciao. So that's it for another episode of Real World Serverless. To access the show notes, please go to realworldserverless.com. If you want to learn how to build production-ready serverless applications, please check out my upcoming courses at productionreadyserverless.com. And I'll see you guys next time.